0: Hi everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth podcast. The, I gotta say it was a good day, edition. Sorry, bad cold, strained voice, so no singing this week. As we look back at a memorable day in the jungle, Saturday's dramatic overtime win over the Vikings. Coming up, radio replays, locker room comments, and post-game analysis from Dave Lapham then in this week's fun facts conversation, the incredible life story of Bengals tight ends coach, James Casey, the Bengals booth podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals official HR software provider by Alta fiber, future proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home business and community to a new level and by Kettering health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering health is the official healthcare provider of the Bengals. Now here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing. Wherever you get your podcasts, it's the greatest thing since the Coffin Nails Banner. As Evan McPherson's game-winning field goal was flying toward the goalpost on Saturday, fans in the end zone unfurled a banner right between the uprights that said, Coffin Nails, a nod to what Dave Lapham and I usually say after the play that clinches a Bengals win. It was much appreciated and more proof that Bengals fans are the best and have made the jungle one of the loudest and toughest environments for visiting teams in the NFL. Now, time for radio replays from an incredible come-from-behind win over Minnesota. With four games left in the regular season, nearly 40% of the AFC has a record of 7-6. and six six out of 16 teams the Bengals are one of them and chances are only two of those six will make the playoffs that makes today's home game against the Minnesota Vikings critical and it is time for the pigskin to fly here in the jungle. Browning throwing it deep for Jamar Chase, he's got it as he makes an arms extended catch before going out of bounds at the 20 yard line.
1: I'll tell you what, that's an unbelievable throw because Jake Browning got blown up. Robbins with his right
0: knee on the field turf, he catches the long snap, puts the ball down, the kick is knocked through by Evan McPherson. And the Bengals score on their opening possession to take a 3-0 lead. Trips out to the left, Hawkinson out to the right. Mullins looking, throwing, intercepted at the goal line. Mike Hilton running it back. He stumbles and goes down at the 17-yard line. And the Bengals get a red zone takeaway. Three receivers left, one out to the right. Mullins has the ball. He's looking left. Here comes the rush, Mullins sacked by B.J. Hill. The ball comes out and the Bengals recover with 20 seconds left in
1: the half. He came up with the ball.
0: How about two takeaways in the red zone in the second quarter? Unreal. Everybody standing up here in the jungle. Third down and nine from the Cincinnati 38. Nick Mullins clapping his hands, Cincinnati sends five, Mullins in trouble, oh. Rose caught by Addison, nobody left to tackle him. He will streak down the field and go into the end zone for a 38-yard touchdown.
1: D.J. Turner went for the deflection, he left his feet, he went to make a play on the football, and when he could not make a play on the football... It was over. Browning back to throw. His pass for Higgins in the end zone. No,
0: baby. Touchdown! Baby. Bengals! A perfect throw from Jake Browning and an over the shoulder catch for T. Higgins for the Bengals touchdown.
1: Don't mess around. First down in the red zone. Go for the gusto.
0: Browning drops back to throw. Four come after him. Browning fires downfield. Caught by Chase. He's got a first down at the 19 of Minnesota. Jake Browning putting it right on the money for Jamar Chase. Browning's going to be in the shotgun. Joe Mixon to his right. Everybody bunched in tight. They hand it to Mixon. He gets hit. Tries to get oh, in. Baby, A yeah. double effort yeah. and does. The second effort gives the Bengals the touchdown as Joe Mixon spikes the ball triumphantly. After taking it in, he got hit by Ivan Pace in between the one and the two. Bounced off him, kept fighting, and got in. He was not going to be denied. Mullins sends another receiver in motion. He will look to throw. Mullins standing, now rolling to the right, being chased toward the sideline. Throws it into the end zone. Oh! Caught by Addison for the touchdown. Man. And the Vikings have the lead with 3:48 to go. 48 seconds left in regulation on second and ten. Browning scrambling right in trouble. Throws it off his back foot toward the end zone. Oh. T. Higgins oh. wins a jump ball for oh. the football. Oh. It's a touchdown. Oh. Man. An incredible catch by oh, T. Man. Higgins. And the Bengals have scored with 39 seconds to go. I can't believe
1: what T. Higgins just did. Unreal. I mean, Jake Browning to put it in the area, and then Higgins catches it at the one and just... Throws it back without losing control of it. He just swoops his arm over his head, and the ball crosses the goal line, and the Bengals get a tying touchdown.
0: Can the Bengals stop
1: Minnesota
0: on fourth down and about two inches in overtime at the 41-yard line?
1: Wouldn't you love to have D.J. Reeder in there for this now?
0: Mullins will be under center. Chandler lined up behind him. The Vikings try the push. The Bengals appear to have stopped it. Cincinnati got a great surge up front. It looks like the Vikings lost yardage. Going for the tush push. (laughs) Let's see about the spot. It all comes down to the spot.
1: Man, I'll tell you. They got off the ball faster than the offensive linemen did. I mean, they got off. That defensive charge was unbelievable. I thought, man, is that onside? And it was.
0: The Bengals will take over at their own 42-yard line. An incredible job by the defense.
1: That's the first time all year Minnesota has been stopped on fourth and one, and it was fourth and an inch or two.
0: The Vikings showing pressure. Here comes the blitz. Browning looking, scrambling to the right. Browning throwing downfield. It is caught. Tyler Boyd still on his feet. He's at the 20. He will be... Brought down inside the 15. He's tackled at the 13. An incredible throw in a narrow window by Jake Browning. Tyler Boyd made the catch, stayed on his feet. The Bengals convert on third down and nine. And now they are well within the field goal range of Evan McPherson. This will be from 29 yards away, from straightaway, shorter than an extra point. Looking for the seventh walk-off field goal of his NFL career and his second in a span of three weeks. Robbins ready to hold, the snap, the placement, the right-footed kick, oh, yeah. it is good! Oh yeah, baby! And the Bengals are still alive in the playoff hunt as they rally from a 14-point deficit in the fourth quarter and beat the Minnesota Vikings in overtime. 27 to 24. Now let's hear from head coach Zach Taylor, who spent a few minutes with Lap after the game.
1: Man, been saying it uh, in the locker room the whole time here. As the legendary Jim Valvano said, "Don't give up. Don't ever give up." I mean, that's that's this football team. It is yeah,
2: I love these guys. You know, they just uh, find a way to to uh, overcome the adversity. There's a lot of adversity in that game. I never panicked down 14 points things weren't going great we weren't in great rhythm on offense at first and then on defense eventually and then everybody just came together and found a way to get it done
1: just to tick off you know i mean just t- you know there were plays to be made and take advantage of and just couldn't quite make them in the first half but to come from behind 21 points scored in the fourth quarter against that defensive football team that's pretty remarkable
2: I'm just proud of our guys proud, proud of the coaches for the plan that they prepare that starts with brian callahan um, I thought he did a great job this week steering that ship and guys believing in it and again just sometimes it takes some time you're playing a good defense it's tough it's, it's unorthodox defense and so it's not going to be perfect the whole game you just got to hang in there and, and find your moments and our guys did.
1: What does it take to go against defense like that I mean obviously patience you know it's not going to always go the way you think but I mean w- w- what's the biggest thing to attack in the defense like that that's so unorthodox?
2: I think just patience and and Try to stay one step ahead. They throw a lot at you, so it can be difficult to do. Um, It starts with the quarterback, not not being overwhelmed by the different looks you can get. And Jake did not. He was not overwhelmed. He did a great job managing it. The guys around him did a great job managing it, and allowed us to be successful.
1: Threw for over 300 yards. I think hit at least 11 different receivers. I mean. He's, he's driven the ball very, very well, isn't he? He's doing a great job. You know, he, he belongs in this
2: league, and he's proven that every week. And he's proven it to this locker room for a long time now. That's why he's gotten the opportunity he has, and I'm uh, really proud of him.
1: The touchdown run that Joe Mixon had was jaw-dropping to me. I'm like, dude. that's I mean You talk about second, third effort.
2: Huge. Fourth down, got to get in. You know, that's a game-changing play right there. And um, he did it very similar last week, and he did it again this week.
1: So they were five for five on fourth and one coming into the football game. Fourth and one, you score a touchdown. Fourth and two inches, they lose three inches. I mean, that ended up being a big deciding factor in the football game, fourth down in a skosh.
2: Yeah, I saw our guys get a tremendous push on that fourth down, you know, at the end of the game to get them stopped, and it looked like he bobbled a snap because of it. And so, um, again, it was very similar to when we beat Minnesota a couple years ago. Got a defensive stop at the same field in overtime. Gave the offense the ball, hit one big play, and then Evan seals
1: it for us. Same score. Okay. I'll I think it was. It. I think yeah, it was the same yeah, score. Right. I'm pretty, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Man, I'll tell you. So, <clears throat> I know I know it's one week at a time. Uh, can you celebrate for a while? Can you go home and celebrate this game for a while? You're uh, going right I, to Pittsburgh.
2: I can go home and relax. Yeah, I'm not uh, – we're done with football for today. Uh, we'll pick up tomorrow morning. You know, and it's a normal seven-day week for once. We haven't had a seven-day week in, since last year, I think.
1: You know, uh, the, what you've done keeping this football team fresh down the stretch is paying off once again. But, Coach, man, what was the deal with the injury gods? I mean, they took some took some shots at us today.
2: That's the way it works. You know, sometimes it's going to happen like that, and we're going to have to have other guys step up. And, and um, you know, it is tough to see, you know, a key player, especially like D.J. Reader, go down, and hopefully um, hopefully, he doesn't get us elsewhere.
1: Appreciate your time. A full week uh, of, of preparation for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're in trouble. Appreciate you.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: The Bengals have leapfrogged the Steelers, and climb to the number six playoff seed in the AFC. Seven teams get in. Cincinnati is currently a a two-and-a-half-point favorite for Saturday's game in Pittsburgh. Now, time for the Radio Guys recap. Lap, that was an amazing, memorable game. So many key plays that the Bengals absolutely had to make and made to get out of here with an overtime win.
1: Yeah, in the first half, they had... Things, opportunity knocked, and they didn't answer. They didn't make the plays. In the second half, particularly the fourth quarter, they made every play they could possibly make. And some of them were acrobatic, phenomenal, just just crazy plays to make, and they made every single one of them. And you score 21 points in the fourth quarter against Brian Flores' defense, the way they're playing? That's, that's mind-boggling stuff. It really is. Jake Browning was incredible in the
0: second half. He threw for nearly... Three hundred yards in the second half, I believe, and obviously made so many plays where he had to extend the play, avoid the rush, find somebody open downfield, and deliver the ball.
1: I mean, the the uh, the gold star on the forehead play of what you're describing was the one that Tyler Boyd that basically set the game-winning field goal up. Tyler Boyd's in the, on the left side of the formation, outside the numbers when the play starts, and Jake gets out of pocket. He has to create and extend, and Tyler Boyd scramble drill. And uh, Jake Browning on the run throws right between two defenders into the arms of Tyler Boyd for a huge play. That's, that's hard to do. That's hard to be that accurate with that kind of touch and timing on the run like that. And he, I think he's always been a pretty good thrower of the football on the run.
0: Do we know how T. Higgins held the ball, swirled it behind his back, held onto the ball, and got it over to the pylon on that one touchdown?
1: When you think about it, think of all the things that had to go through his mind in just instants—you know, I mean, just milliseconds—to um, <laughs> be aware, catch it, I'm in bounds, stay in bounds, and take that ball and just, you know, <laughs> make the arc over my head to to uh, break the plane inside the pylon. I mean, that's that's just uh, that's football awareness, football savvy, uh, and he's. He's such a gifted athlete. I mean, his size, speed ratio, his ability to run routes, contested catch, strong hands. I mean, <laughs> he checks a ton of boxes. There's no question. Do
0: we know who deserves credit for the fourth down stop in OT?
1: I mean, I, BJ Hill. I think he. I think he was low. Zach Carter was high. They both came off the ball like a banshee. I mean, the interior of that defensive line just did a heck of a job and. I was kidding, uh, BJ Hill. After the game, I said, "What about linebacker, man? The Hands you have? You got two interceptions. There's defensive backs in the league that have played a lot of snaps that don't have one, man. They, they're, they're all they're all waiting for their first interception of the season, and you're racking them up." Uh, he said, "Whatever it takes." I mean, he, he said, "I told you I was an athlete." He is. I mean, he's he's a good athlete.
0: Eight and six, three to go. They're obviously very much alive in the playoff race, but with lots of work still to do.
1: No doubt, lots of work to do. Um, they get a chance now to sit back and, and and watch the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, in their in their contest, so they can get a jump on preparation, you know, for that football game. But you know, not not studying it like you would, uh, you know, on a normal work day. But uh, it's never easy. I can tell you for a fact, going to Pittsburgh and playing the Steelers is never an easy task. No, no matter what the stakes, what the circumstances, but. They've proven themselves to be human. I mean, the last the last two home games, to lose to teams that they lost to, very, very unstealer like I mean, Mike Tomlin must be beside himself.
0: It's kind of interesting to watch Jake Browning in this game because he couldn't uh, do some of the things that have worked so well the last couple of weeks. They didn't get 100-plus rushing yards. They didn't get a ton of big plays off-screen passes. He kind of had to be Burrow-like and... Find open receivers under pressure and deliver good throws.
1: He did. I mean, he he had to he had to put his nose to the grindstone. You know, in terms of of uh, you know, he had to create and extend uh, when he could throw on time. He had to throw on time and hit spots, and he did. He hit tight spots. He he played an outstanding football game. This guy is legit I mean there is no doubt uh, you know Zach started laughing he goes you know honestly he goes Jake Brownie did a phenomenal job he said you know really you can't ask for much more when we were talking after the game so I mean it he is um he's basically turned his career down a totally different path there is no question about it and couldn't uh, couldn't happen to a to a better guy and a guy that's uh you know worked his tail off to get that opportunity
0: the win came with a hefty price. We saw DJ Reader leave the locker room on crutches with a big bulky brace on his right knee. Uh, the heart and soul of the defensive line, one of the team leaders on this team, and that's a very significant loss.
1: No question. It is. I mean, ask, when I was asking Zach about that, he said, we don't have any final determinations yet, but that one does not look good. I mean, you know, he's realistic about it. I mean, he realizes that the DJ season is probably over. DJ Ivy, he's not optimistic about either with his knee injury. And then, of course, the reaction that DJ Ivey had, whenever I see grown men, tough guys, you know, in tears, it's telling you that something bad happened uh, that's jeopardizing their opportunity and ability to play. So um, th- those two injuries were, you know, obviously massive.
0: Saturday number one was successful. Bring on the Steelers next Saturday in Pittsburgh.
1: Bring on the Steelers. And Joe Mixon, that touchdown run, my man, <sighs> talk about inspirational, <sighs> That was a gutsy run, run like that in Pittsburgh, Joe. The Bengals
0: Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Finally, it's time for this week's Fun Facts Conversation. Normally, this segment is no more than 15 minutes long. This week, I spent 38 minutes with a Bengals coach with a remarkable story to tell. Time for some fun facts with tight ends coach James Casey, born and raised in Texas, not far from Fort Worth. Were you a city kid or a country kid? Country kid. I'm from Azle, Texas, outside of Fort Worth, and like,
3: you know, being from Texas and, you know, everybody, everybody thinks DFW Dallas Fort Worth area, but Fort Worth's way different than Dallas. We're just it's not it's it's more rural. It's, it was a decent sized city, but I'm I'm definitely a country guy. I, got, I bought some land in Texas, so when I get opportunities, my little bit of free time, like I like getting out in the country. What do you miss when you're away? The I miss just the people, the hospitality. Like it is different. Like you know, you know everybody knows people from Texas and how prideful they are of their state, and and it's 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 valid. I mean, there's it's you grow up there and you have pride in your state and and just used to that southern hospitality and i mean cincinnati's been awesome like cincinnati's kind of it reminds me of a little bit of texas so i'm really glad i get to coach here in, in a great city like this like the people here are, are similar like just you know down to earth people that are you know i'm used to like you know the old school like opening doors for people saying you know please thank you you're welcome yes ma'am no ma'am yes sir i like guess that's, that's kind of like the texas stuff and I'm trying to raise my kids like that, too, and they, I mean, it's its strange, but sometimes, that you know, people are not used to that, and, they, you know, they almost feel like they're mocking them or something. Hmm. It's like, no, we're not, I'm just, I'm just trying to be polite. I'm trying to be, there's a reason why they're called the magic words, because, you know, you treat people nice, treat people with respect, you're not mocking them. Like, over time, I think they understand that, we, you know, we're not trying to, you know, I say yes, sir, a lot, and people say, don't call me sir, like they're mad at me. I know they're just <laughs> kind of playing around, but Like I'm just trying to be respectful. You know, I'm not trying to be, you know, be, I'm not trying to be mean or, you know, make funny or anything. I'm just, that's just how I am.
0: So James, this segment is called Fun Facts, but it's really your life story in 10 to 15 minutes. And your life story includes heartbreak and a devastating loss. Your mom passed away in a fire when you were 16 years old. I can't imagine the fear. I can't imagine the trauma. How did you get through it? Yeah, I mean, I never talk about it just
3: because it's bad emotion, bad feelings and bad memories, but. It, you know, it's also, if I do get a chance to speak to kids or something, because, you know, everybody deals with tragedies and some bigger than others, and, you know, losing, losing your mom's a pretty big one. And in a trailer fire, you know, I, I didn't grow up with any money. I grew up really poor in in Azel and you know, I was at school one day, and the, they came and got me and said my trailer burned down and my mom was inside, so, I mean, I lost everything. So it was, uh, you know, devastating, of course. I didn't have any, the only thing I had was, like, backpack. That I was that I was wearing the clothes I was wearing that day, and then my mom was gone. But so I mean, I was, of course, you know, devastated. I mean, the biggest thing that got me over it was, you know, it took you know, like maybe like a week week later, just you know, feeling sorry for myself. You know, kind of down in the dumps, which happens to a lot of people. You know, you, you deal with something like that, and a lot of people, you know, turn to drugs or they just turn to just giving up and not caring. But I eventually came. I had a, like a kind of like epiphany or like awareness to say like. Well, my mom would not have wanted me to just feel sorry for myself and be moping around and and you know making bad grades in school and not trying in sports. So I just said, you know, she would have wanted me to, you know, that happened. It's 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 there's nothing I can change about it. So the only thing I can do is you know try to make the best of whatever I can do and make her proud. So you know, I really just said, you know what, she would have wanted me to do great things and be good. And so I, after that happened, I really picked it up even more. So like my work ethic, my hmm. My school, my sports, I just try to be wanted to try to be the best just to just because that's how I feel like you should do things, like try to maximize everything all your potentials and it's like you don't want to let people down and so once I've realized that and I had a ton of support from the city like Azel Texas, like I had I had people buying me clothes, you know I had there was a guy that got me a truck like I, you know I ended up having nicer things afterwards I mean a, a terrible situation but I had a lot of people around me that helping me and you know my my wife you know we um married high school sweethearts we've been married 17 years so she she came along right after that and it's like anything in life you need a lot of people helping you no matter how hard you work and i had a lot of people
0: around me helping me did you learn about the inherent goodness of people through that i did yeah i learned about how how you know we were speaking of texas earlier
3: just how people there are like genuinely good people out there that that are they don't want anything in return they just they just want to help especially when you're young you know but also learn that you have to show you have to show some initiative and some ambi- ambition first for people to help you you know if i would have been a kid that wasn't making i was making terrible grades or i wasn't trying hard in sports i don't think i would have had as much help but everybody in the community like knew that i was you know i made straight A's in school before that and i was i was good in sports i worked hard i was tough so i think all the people that knew me and knew my situation they knew i was a kid that like wanted to do well and They knew I wasn't like normal kid stuff, but I wasn't. I wasn't a kid that was like, you know, trying to be disrespectful all the time. So I think because because how I was beforehand, that they knew I was like work. I was a hard worker. I did things. I tried to do things the right way. So then I had a whole bunch of help because of that. So and then and they didn't want anything in return. You know, I had people that would, you know, give me stuff, and I didn't even know where it was coming from, Mm -hmm. and. And not still just, you know, if I wouldn't have all that help, like, who knows what I could have done. You know, there's a lot of people in those same circumstances where it goes, you know, probably the majority of people in those same circumstances where it goes downhill in their life. But because I had all those people helping me, it, you know, I, I just used it as motivation. I still do it to this day, just trying to never want to let people down and trying to achieve, as, you know, do the best I can and
0: achieve great things. We're visiting with tight ends coach James Casey. You were a hard-throwing pitcher as a kid. You got drafted by the White Sox right out of high school and spent four years in pro baseball, playing in places like Bristol, Virginia, and Great Falls, Montana. How would you describe the experience? It was an unbelievable, valuable experience for me. Like coming out of high school in Hazel,
3: you know, dealing with the story you just heard about my mom, and having even before that happened. I, I mean, I lived in like really bad trailer. We had roaches. Like we just we didn't have a lot of money, so I grew up real poor. And then I got drafted in baseball in the seventh round. So I'm thinking I'm going to the big leagues. I'm going to be an all-star. And I was I was talented. I mean, I, I had the potential to, but I didn't have the mindset. You know, I was 18 years old, never even really been out of the city. And then I go play minor league baseball, and I'm traveling around on buses, and the minor leaguers don't make any money whatsoever. I had a little bit of a signing bonus, but, you know, I thought I was rich at that time. But I think I had, my signing bonus was 120000 which to me, it was like I'm rich, you know, but. You know, big picture-wise, that's not, that's not going to sustain me for my whole life. But I learned, like, it was a great experience getting to meet a lot of different people. Being a professional athlete at 18 years old, I learned a lot of valuable lessons. And and then once I got fired in baseball because I couldn't throw strikes, and I just I didn't have, like, any training as a kid. So that was my only training was professional. And I've heard the two worst players, and I would believe in the two worst players you can coach are the, are the players that don't do anything you say and then the player that does everything you say, mm-hmm. like, Exactly. I was was the kid that did everything they said exactly, which you know sometimes you know coaches are great sometimes but sometimes coaches say some things that are more like you know maybe it doesn't fit you as well and you got to you know be respectful but say you know that that's not going to work for me that well like I need to I need to stick with some of the stuff that got me here. So when I when I got fired from baseball, and that's probably be next question, but I, I really took a lot of valuable lessons about you know like not and I was worried about what everybody else was doing. Like so, once I let once that happened, I was like, I'm not worried about what anybody else is doing, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm rooting for everybody. There's more than enough to go around for everybody, because when you're in baseball, it's so individual. I caught myself like, you know, one, you know, like if somebody's out there pitching, I was like, if they were doing well, I was like, man, if he's doing well, he's going to get called up, and I'm not, which is a, a terrible mindset. You know, I should have been rooting for that guy hmm. and trying to like learn learn things as much as I could and and just not taking a lot of crap from people, not being disrespectful, but also, like, being confident. You know, like, I just learned how to be confident and make sure I had no regrets on anything else I did. So after I got fired in baseball, I was like, I'm not having any regrets. Nobody's outworking me. I'm always going to be the, the guy that works harder than everybody else because if, if like, it's sort of NFL coaching, if it didn't work out, I'm still going to hold my head up high because I know I'm doing everything I possibly can to,
0: to be a great coach and to help the tight ends as much as I can. You use the term fired as opposed to cut or released. Is there a reason? Yeah. I don't like
3: to, you know, I'm pretty, like, blunt with things. Like, I don't like to sugarcoat things. Like, it, I, I mean, it's just my own personal thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like in, in, when I was playing in the NFL, like, I didn't retire from the NFL. I got fired and then nobody else would hired me. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, like, make myself feel better about anything. It's like, you know, that's just part of life. You got you know, you, and it just like keeps me motivated because you don't want to get fired, and I've been fired multiple times. Been fired in baseball and, and even even <laughs> playing playing football, I got fired a couple of times, and then coaching, I've already been you know a couple spots, and I just don't you know like I know some people say that they got released, or and it's you know it's just semantics, but I just want to you know I don't know why it is, but it's just like I just don't want I want to like, I'm try always try to be humble, and and I think sometimes just being open about what really is happening i think it helps other people sometimes be be more like you know sometimes bad things happen and you
0: move on and and make the best of it so after four years of minor league baseball when you realize you're not going to the big leagues what were your options in your own mind i
3: mean i had my my i got married at 21 to my high school sweetheart we've been married 17 years it'll be 18 years in december and so i got so we got married and then two weeks later i got fired in baseball so i'm like oh man like you know, hopefully she doesn't leave me. She, she didn't, luckily. But my mindset was I knew, I'm gonna, I, knew I was going to go to college. That's why I was was willing to get, you know, I got drafted in high school. That's I was willing to go play minor league baseball because I knew, worst case scenario, I get fired, I'm still going to go to college and graduate and get a degree and, you know, you go into the workforce and, you know, make money and have a job, have a career. I knew I was going to do that. I knew I was disciplined enough to do that. So after I got done with baseball, I was like, well, I know I'm going to go to college and i know i'm like an athletic guy i've always worked out hard i've always been in good shape i was a good high school football player i just got hurt my senior year i had two surgeries my senior year on my knee during the season and i, I still play the last game that's why i tell the tight ends all lot of times like just to like it's about toughness less and uh and i saw guys that put that i played with in high school that went on to play college football and i was like well if i'm i know i'm gonna go to college i have all my eligibility left so why not play football like i'm i was just you know, we were talking before about just self-efficacy, just a lot of belief in myself. That, if, you know, and just watching, watching uh, when I was playing minor league baseball, just watching college football and be like, I could, I could do that if I, if uh, if baseball didn't work out. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to, I'm gonna go to college. So, I'm, you know, I'm gonna play football too. So, I, and nobody was contacting me. Obviously, it you know, I've been in high school like four years and I didn't really have any film. But another adage, like, you know, you, you, know, you gotta, you always need help regardless of what you're doing, and it doesn't hurt to ask. You know, so you, and the only way you can get information out to colleges is like just to send them things, to go talk to them, and call them. And so I filled out like every questionnaire from any college in Texas and and out of state. I sent like these this envelope full of my information and and just silly stuff. Like I took a picture. My wife took a picture of myself in my tights, and I thought it was douchey, but <laughs> but I saw I was just watching TV and I saw in the combine they do it, so I was like, well, and I knew I was like I was a baseball player, so. A lot of these college coaches are probably going to think I'm, you know, an out of shape person or like real skinny guy. So mm-hmm. I like I need to show them that I'm I'm in good shape, and that's really what got me the opportunity. Long long story, but so I just sent out information everywhere because I was going to go to college and I was going to see. Well, if I'm going to go, maybe I can get a. I didn't even know how scholarships work, but I was like maybe I can get a 10% scholarship or something. I didn't even realize it was like full scholarships until I got the scholarship. And I went to I went to junior colleges. Tarleton. I went to everywhere and no one was they were like yeah we'd love for you to walk on which is understandable because I hadn't played in four years and I really and I was on like a triple option offense but long long story but Rice took a chance on me and gave me a scholarship to play defense and I was I jumped on it like right away and I didn't and realizing it was a full scholarship and Rice's an unbelievable university and so what you know once that happened my life kind of really like took a 180 right there like I was like okay I, I got an opportunity and I was like, I not, this is not gonna pass me by. And I was like a a madman in college. Like in a good way, but I was I was all I did was football in school, like just nonstop. And I worked out and it led to like success on the field and then I got an opportunity to play in the
0: NFL. Did your teammates even really get to know you considering how focused you were? No.
3: No. I mean Justin Hill, uh our running backs coach, was the same year as me in college and you know, now you know, we've known each other since college and we've talked and we stayed in connections, but I I was, I didn't go out with the team at all. I didn't go to any parties. I didn't, but I was also, you know, I was, I wasn't like being a jerk to anybody and I was just doing my job and, Mm -hmm. and trying to help me wherever I could. And I just so focused on just winning. I wanted to win, you know, and I wanted to be the best I could possibly be that I think, and credits, I mean, unbelievable just experience at Rice because everybody there, they didn't treat. I was day one. I was the oldest guy on the team. And I was the only married guy on the team, like the first day I got on campus on on football on the football team, and they just they didn't treat me any differently and i was twenty three i think my freshman year married you know like i'm not i'm just i wasn't i was kind of in with what happened to my mom with getting fired in baseball, so I was a mature twenty three year old like i was they you know I was kind of almost acting like I am now little bit. I was more you know, as a 39 year old. You know, you get mature as you get older, and you kind of start understanding what's important. So I was a mature person. Like I was basically a professional football player playing in college. And but they were they were they respected me. They they didn't treat me any differently. And and it, you know, even though I didn't hang out with them off the field, they still they still knew I cared. And they knew I was working hard and I was trying to help whatever way I could. And and I, and I eventually started doing well on the field. So then then doing great on the field makes everything better. So then they all just accepted me, and it was. And I still stand, you know, in contact with a lot of those players and that I played with at Rice, and it was, a, you know, it really just amazing experience. I went in the Hall of Fame at Rice this last uh, this off season, or really before we played the 49ers. and that was a one of the most memorable experiences I've had, getting around my former teammates and coaches, and and just thinking back to it, because you know it's hard to reminisce in in life sometimes because you're just focused on the next step. But when something like that happens, getting into the Hall of Fame at your college, you kind of you can't help but like thinking back, and it really just like just unbelievable memories of getting going from baseball to college football. I only played there two years, my true freshman, true sophomore year, and just what I was able to accomplish in those two years is really good. it's just amazing. But it wouldn't happen if I didn't have like everything, a lot of great people around me, I had a lot of like a lot of great help, a lot of great teachers, coaches, you know, teammates that were at rice and at azel and at you know everywhere and i just had great people around me and great coaches around me to to help me and i've just kind of just been really blessed to be in great situations
0: you got moved from defense to offense at rice and had two tremendous seasons your final year 111 catches for more than 1300 yards 57 rushes for 241 more you're listed as a tight end but how would you describe your position at rice yeah i was uh
3: i mean it's a a long story about how I kind of got in those situations, but I started off as a linebacker, and then the second day that the moved, me a to defensive end. So I played defensive end the whole spring, and because I got there in the spring, and I was probably going to be the starting defensive end, but I kept staying after practice each spring practice and like playing catch to show the coaches that I could throw really well. Because when I was trying to recruit myself to college, I was I was trying to be a quarterback. Because you know, obviously, I drafted in baseball as a pitcher. Like I can throw the ball, I could throw the ball well, and. And I just kept kind of showing them. Like, I, was, I wasn't i was being disrespectful. But I was like, hey, I think I – I was just being honest. Like, I'm not – I can play defense, and I, I think I would have been a really good defensive player. But I was like, I think I could help this team better if I'm on offense. Like, that's what I've done my whole life. I've always been – you know, even when I was a little kid, I was like the running back. Or, And so I was trying to show them that I think I could help on offense. And they eventually moved me to quarterback. So I went from defensive end all spring. And then after spring, they moved me to – to the quarterback position during the summer, so the whole team was like, "What? What are they? you were just playing Demon Smith? Now you're the quarterback? Like it's just you know it never happens like that." But and because the way that happened too, I just kept showing them I could throw, being respectful, and then we they would have seven on seven tournaments during the or, or games during the summer, and they'd be working on their stuff, and I'd always just go out with the offense and just kind of just stand there and watch and try to learn. And a couple of times the running back didn't show up, so he had school or something. So, they would just put me in there, and even though I was a defensive end, I'd play some running back for our offense during seven on seven stuff. And I just kind of got around those guys and just, yeah, I was still doing defensive end stuff. And then eventually the coaching staff, you know, gave me an opportunity to. So, when we came back from fall camp, I moved to quarterback, and then we had some receivers get hurt in training camp. So, the backup quarterbacks are the only ones that, like, knew all the offense, you know, like halfway through training camp. So, they're like, hey, we need you guys to go out there and do some receiver stuff. So then I showed up at practice doing receiver stuff, and the team was like, now you're doing receiver <laughs> stuff. You have end, between quarterback to receiver." And I did a really good job at receiver, and the receivers coach started liking what I was doing. So then he, you know, I was kind of like bouncing back and forth from positions, and I still stayed in the quarterback room the whole time there, and I would learn the quarterback stuff. But we had a great quarterback, Chase Clement. Who, I mean, his senior year he threw 44 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and so he was really good. So that you know they didn't need me at quarterback cause how good he was. So but. They started getting me more involved at at receiver. And then I started doing wildcat quarterback stuff. And then they it just kind of started evolving where I started doing all kinds of stuff. Like, and they, I mean, credit to them. That's the advantages of being in a place like Rice. They gave me a lot of opportunities to do a bunch of different stuff. And the, the main reason why I think because I was willing to do it and mainly is because the baseball didn't work out. So I was like, this is not, I'm not I don't care what I, what I got to do. I, I returned punts just because I was like, I can do this. Let, cause we had a guy, you know, that, wasn't doing a great job punter returning I just started going back there and started catching the punt and eventually they just let me do in game so I started being a punt turner. I was a holder on field goal I was like backup punter backup snapper I played you know wildcat quarterback a bunch I played a little bit of tight end I really didn't even do tight end much but I played receiver you know I just played everywhere just because I wanted to win so bad I wanted to make sure this opportunity was not going to pass me by and and I wasn't afraid you know I wasn't scared I wasn't I believed in myself. I believed I could help, and so any opportunity, I jumped at it, no matter what it was, and eventually, they started putting me in the games, and then I started doing a great job in the game, and it just kind of took off from
0: there. You turned pro after two years at Rice and were drafted in the fifth round by the Houston Texans. After all you had been through, what was it like to get that phone call? I mean, I was pissed at the time because I was very confident that, I mean,
3: I had 111 catches and like, 1,300 yards, and I had, like... You know I, you know I carried the ball as a runner and you know in, in the wildcat quarterback and I played running back too a little bit so like i I feel like I had like an amazing year in, in college football and I was only a true sophomore and I looked around. you know I'm watching around college football and i'm you know everybody does when you go into the draft you know you go to the combine you're looking to see who all the other tight ends are and i'm like I'm very confident that I'm better than a lot of those guys but i the draft comes and i'm getting you know i don't know what where i how which number of tight end I was drafted but the Texans drafted a, a tight end in the fourth round that same year. And once they did that, I was like, this is unbelievable. It's like, what else do I got to do? You know, like I did everything. I, I knew everything. I knew quarterback. I knew running back. I knew receiver. I played every position. I played punt returners. Like, the, obviously, I'm showing that I'm a good player and, I, and I'm a value. I can do something for your NFL team. But I didn't get drafted. You know, I, and I see now as NFL coach because I, I really didn't get to play tight end in college. So I didn't really show them that. I, and I couldn't play in any all-star games because I was an underclassman. So they had a lot of questions on me if I could block or not. So I was – and then they the Texans drafted a guy. And I, I lived like a mile from the stadium at the time because I was going to college at Rice right next to the right, – right in Houston. So I was mad. I was like, man, what is going on? But, so they drafted a guy in the fourth round. Then they drafted me in the fifth round. So then I was like, okay, I got drafted. I was mad because I, I, I believed in myself. But I was still extremely grateful just to – you know, like I got drafted in baseball and then football. So I was – you know, it's not like I'm – entitled or anything. I was just, you know, mad that I, you know, I wasn't valued as much as what, you know, I thought I was. But day one, you know, I I couldn't, I enjoyed it for like a day, but then I was like, I'm a fifth round pick and they drafted a fourth round tight end. It's like, for me to make this team is going to be really difficult. And being an older, you know, guy, I was like, I understand like, getting drafted doesn't mean anything. You know, you got to get on the 53-man roster. I'm not a first round pick. I'm not, I got to make the team. So I was just dead set on, and I never even played tight end really. So I had to show that I could play tight end so I had to learn, you know, like I didn't really, I never even got a three point stance in college. I had to learn how to get a three point stance. I had to learn how to block. I had to show that I was tough because I was a pass catcher in college. I didn't block a lot, and that's what I'm really most proud about NFL wise. Is that I came in as a, you know, I caught 111 passes. I'm a pass catcher guy, but then, you know, after my career kept, you know, after the first couple of years, I then I was more, I transitioned more like a blocker guy. I played fullback, played special teams, so I completely changed my game because I, I learned early on in training camp that first. You know that first week you know like they're not they're not throwing me the ball like i'm not catching the ball here we got andre johnson we got we know we got, we got all these really good players like i'm not going to catch the ball so i'm like i need to find ways to make make myself valuable so i, I was like i got to be no special teams was number one i was like i got to show that i'm tough and i can play special teams and then i got i got to show i can play fullback. i can be tough i can do a lot of different things so I so i can make the team and kind of like drew does for us a little bit like he does all kinds of stuff he just shows that he's valuable and he helps the team out in a lot of ways that are like that people don't realize but in the football team the coaches and the players they realize how important those things are and i mean it was amazing that i got you know i was i did enjoy it you know i was like oh it's unbelievable that I'm, i got drafted in football and my wife didn't even know i was good at football you know like going into rice she <laughs> she we started dating as a junior and you know i kind of got hurt i didn't really play a lot of football and i didn't really even get recruited and in college, which is, I don't know how I didn't. I don't know what these, what those recruiters are doing, but so, and then I, when I told her, I, when I got fired in baseball, I told her I was going to play college football. She, you know, she was great with it, but I'm sure in her mind, she was like, okay, well, I hope this. And then all of a sudden I'm great. And I go in the NFL and she's like, she, I'm like, see honey, you need to believe me sometimes. I, like, I am pretty good. You know?
0: <laughs> so you lasted seven years in the NFL with Houston, Philly and Denver. What did you love most about being an NFL player?
3: the, that, you know the the reason why i'm coaching i love the I love everything about football i mean it is to me it's like one of the greatest things on earth is that you get all these different people together and it's a true team sport where everybody you know on offense we get eleven guys out there all eleven of those guys got to do their job and got to be if one guy doesn't do it right, that could completely kill the play and there's so much strategy that goes into it that you know I wish some of the fans and people could see how much goes into. Like the pass protection stuff. How much goes into the run game stuff and the different, you know, angles that defensive ends are playing and how the linebackers play and special teams. What kind of return are they doing? Like, who's going to be blocking me? What kind of guy is that? Is he big? Big guy? Is he quick? Like, there's just so much strategy involved. And there, and it's like you can, you get, you get, you can get out what you put in in football. If you're tough and you're physical and you have technique and you, and you know what you're doing, and you play hard and you, you can make yourself a good player. And it's It's a lot of like correlations to life you know there's a lot you can you you, everybody's got to work together and you can you get out what you put in so I just love the entire game of football so I that's why I got into coaching I just loved everything about it like just the the locker room the teammates like doing doing you know you do a really good job on a play and everybody's congratulating you because you help the team do something good like you're helping you know you're like Zach talks about a lot you're you're being a part of something that's bigger than just you you're fighting adversity together you're you're tight-knit. You go on the road, you know, there's 53 of us, and there's, you know, maybe 70,000 of them, and it's just you against, all, you against that entire city, basically. Like, just the feeling of that. And then being at home and all the fa- – you know, your home, home crowd, everybody's coming. They, they – just appreciation of, you know, people can do whatever they want to, you know, throughout the day. And then on Sunday, a lot of people in Cincinnati choose to come to our stadium and watch us play. They take that out of their day – so it's like you know the fact that they chose to come here and watch us play and and just it just it's a special feeling and if, and you know for them for everybody that comes like you know we put work we work hard on what we do like we're we're studying we're the tight ends especially that like they got to know so much stuff and we're trying to you know put on a show and we're trying to win we're trying to win for the city we're trying to win for each other we're trying to you know just anything we're trying to be successful you want to win in anything you're competitive. And football is the most competitive NFL for sure. is the most competitive thing out there. So, I, and I love being competitive. I'm trying to win, and I want to try to maximize everything. I, you know, maximize everything within my human you know potential. And no better way to, to test yourself than NFL football. Just like your job, you know, like it's it's the best of the best. And if you if you know if you think you're good, well, you got to you got to see how good you are. If, you know, going against the NFL guys
0: before we started doing this, I gave you a quick explanation for what we were going to do and you said, Yeah, that's fine, but I gotta talk about my guys. What is it about you and your relationship with your tight end group? They're, I mean I love that I that I'm I mean I play tight end, but the fact
3: that I get to coach tight ends in the NFL is like it's it's I wish I wish like fans and I wish, you know, everybody could kind of see how these guys are, like how how smart they are, how driven they are, how how much work they put in, how unselfish they are. Just they're good people, you know. You, and you you have you have to be to, to be a tight end in the NFL. You got to be, you got to be really really smart. Like there's so much stuff they got to know on each play, and they got to know everything. They got to know all the routes, all the run game, blocking, all the pass protection stuff. You got to be tough because you're always going against guys that are, you know, you're going against Miles Garrett and T.J. Watt. You're going against all these guys, and you got to be really tough. So you got and you got to be versatile. You got to do all these different things, and you got to be unselfish because you don't get a lot of credit for hurting anything. And I talk to him all the time about it. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't be a type of guy that, like, needs, you know, credit. You know, you just need to do your job for, because you want to do your job, because you want to win. You're a competitive person. The coaches understand. Your teammates understand. But you don't need appreciation from any kind of media or any kind of fans because, like, you're not doing it for that. You're doing it because you want to win, because you want to be good at what you do, and you want to help us, you know, be great. And my guys are unbelievable. I mean, all five of my guys in my room are—they're extremely intelligent. They're extremely tough. They care. They're good people. Like you don't—you don't see—you don't see, you know. Hopefully, you haven't seen hardly anything from from these tight ends where the, like they seem like they're bad people at all. They're unbelievable people, and they—they're like you know. I, I'm selfish as a tight end coach, but I think tight ends are like some of the top notch people in the world because as far as men go, because they got to be—you got to be unselfish. You got to be driven. You got to be tough. Like. If you're a business and you're a CEO of a business, you know I would recommend if you need somebody to, to hire, like I would look at tight ends mm-hmm. first because they're going to do a good job. Like all my guys here, any, if they wanted to do anything else in life, whatever they want to do, if if that if that's what they want to do, they they're going to be successful at it just because they're they're there, that type of people. And they and and we we got to do so many different things. And there's four of those guys out there right now playing, and they all get opportunities and they all do all different things. And and I'm involved in everything as far having to coach those guys. But I can't say enough about how just good of people they are and how hard they work. And like, you know, Drew Sample, all the stuff he does in the pass protection and run game and Irv Smith, you know, being unselfish and, you know, being a versatile guy that can do all different things. And Tanner, like, coming in from, you know, probably nobody knew who he was and now he's making some catches and and he works his tail off. And Mitchell Wilcox, undrafted guy, he plays special teams, he blocks hard. He play, You know, you watch him on film – you know, watch him after the snap. Like, like he is going after people. He's a tough, tough guy. And then Zach, Zach Gentry, the, the newer guy we got from the Steelers. Like he's just on Price court right now. But you don't ever see him. No, he's none of these guys get any poo-poo face. They're not feeling sorry for themselves. They just show up to work every day. They're the same guy, and they, 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 they don't give me a lot of crap. They know I care too, though. They know I'm not trying to, you know, just mf them for no reason. Like I'm, I'm trying to help them, and that you know, we're working together. So I mean they're unbelievable people. So hopefully if the fans out there get a chance to ever see them, you know, they they would love to talk to you and media too. They would love to talk to you, but they don't need that. You know, so don't talk to them too much. Don't get them feeling good, feeling too too good about themselves. But they're great people, and it's i uh, I love each day coming to work because of
0: the guys that I'm coaching. A few wild card topics to wrap things up with James Casey. Who is your all time favorite athlete in any sport, and why? Nolan Ryan just his grit, his longevity, like, and
3: he's, you know, he's the same type of guy. He wasn't a – you know, you don't – you didn't see Nolan Ryan, like, really, you know, being a humble guy. He wasn't just trying to self-promote himself. And that's another thing about my tight ends, too. It's like they don't – you don't see these guys, like, trying to overly self-promote themselves too much. And they're just about their business. And they're – but Nolan Ryan was just – I mean, growing up in Fort Worth area and when he was playing for the Rangers, like, being able to, like, see him and, you know, the – and I was a baseball player, like, and when he when he beat up Robin Ventura, like, <laughs> you can't beat that. Like, he's 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 like the pinnacle for me as far as like my guy. I mean, I love all. You know, I just watched Barry Sanders' his documentary. Like, I, I love that guy too. Just unselfish guy. Like, didn't want credit. Didn't he? Like, was turning down like chances to like break records just because he didn't want all the attention. He didn't want it to be about him. He was just about football. Like, you don't you don't hear anything about him. Off the field, kind of things like guys like that are the guys that I love. The guys that are great athletes, but they're not like it's not about them. They just they love they they're great because they love the they love the sport. They love competing. They love like winning. They love being a part of something bigger than themselves. Like those are the guys I'm I, I love like I love watching those guys and just hearing hearing when when those guys speak. Those are the guys I really want to listen to. How do you feel about procrastination? I mean, everybody everybody has it, but. I, I try to be, you know, you have to be in in coaching tight ends. So you have to be like on top of stuff. But I just try to be really intentional. So I don't. I hate procrastinating. But I also, as I've gotten older, and, I, and a friend of mine at Rice, he he gave me a valuable lesson about outsource all your non-core functions. So I, I'm like, I only do like a couple of things. I do football with my family, and you know, faith. Like that's all I do. So I, I don't. I don't like waste a lot of time. I'm when I'm. Driving in the work, I'm listening to some kind of audio book or podcast. When I'm working out. It's I'm I'm always listening to something. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to. I just want to live like that. I want to try to maximize it. I want to try to learn as much as I can. I'm just always curious about not just football, just everything. I want to learn things. I want to. You know, however, however long I got on this earth, I want to try to learn as much as I possibly can and experience as much as I can. And I've got two boys now that are that are 13 and 10. So a lot of it is I'm trying to learn as much as I can so I can help them. When they get older, like I try, I'm trying to like write a book to my kids, just because I realize as a coach, I'm talking to my players like all day, every day, and I don't even get a chance to talk to my kids as much. So, like, well, okay, I'm gonna start writing down everything that that I think is important for them, and then when they get in high school, I'm gonna give it to them and say, hey, this is what I, my beliefs on, you know, like integrity, like my beliefs on like attitude and respect, my my beliefs on kindness, my my beliefs on like having extreme accountability on things, and how important that is. And having worthwhile goals, like you know, you can't. It's hard to do something if you're not, you know, if you don't know what you want to do. Like you got to know what you want to do first. You got to know and know you know, and then you can put all your attention towards that. And like most things in life, like I don't like procrastinating because it's just like I just have my mindset on one thing, and I just try to outlast everybody, and try to do it harder than everybody else, and try to outlast everybody. And that's and it's hard for kids, but I'm trying to explain to my boys, it's like you guys need to be thinking every day, and to the tight ends too. You be thinking every day about what you're going to do after football because if you don't know what you want to do like you're just going to be randomly just wandering around like you got to have you need to be exact about what you want to do and then the only thing that's not exact is just say or something better you know it's like i want to like me i want to be a you know, I want to coach I want to keep rising up i want to hopefully be a head coach one day and it, I'm not picking like a specific place or you know it, it could be anywhere I just want to get in the you know reach the highest level I can but I know what I want to do, so all my time is spent on football, and that's it. And then and I'm trying to explain that to my kids. And I know a long answer you asked about procrastination. I'm 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 not a maniac. <laughs> I mean, I, I procrastinate on some things, but when it's like the important things, I try to you know make sure I'm just try to be really really focused and conscious of what I'm doing and just get get those things done. But I procrastinate all kinds of stuff that's not like the most important things to me.
0: Describe the experience of watching your two boys play sports. The best experience in the world is that I mean, you
3: know, we go out here and we played, uh, you know, Monday Night Football last last week, and you know it's exciting and it's you know it's you're out there on Monday Night, you know, millions of people are watching, you know, all these celebrities or you know the announcers and all this stuff, but that is nothing compared to like going and watching a select baseball game of your own kid, you know, a ten u baseball game is of your own son is like a thousand times better than what it would be like watching Monday Night Football even though I love the tight ends, I love when, you know, like, that's that's below it, but it's still way below it as opposed, as opposed to my own kids. Like there's That's my – the biggest thing I look forward to is, is watching them play sports and seeing them grow. And, and it's stressful, too, because we know as men, you know, we're older men now. We know all the pitfalls that can happen. We know all the things that are going through our mind, through our life, and the things that we, you know, did that was dumb. Like, everybody does dumb things. We know all those things. We know that they're going to go through that, too, and – you know, I'm just hope they don't do the really, really dumb things, Hopefully they, especially nowadays. We got we hit like the world history jackpot because we didn't have cell phones when we were mm-hmm. kids, we didn't have everybody taking pictures of everything, we didn't have social media. So, we were able to like grow and mature before that stuff came about. So, we know we don't we know not to let that ruin our lives, and now we're not worried about likes and who comments on our posts and stuff. But their age that's like their whole life. Like, I'm just to try to make sure they understand that don't who cares what somebody says on social media. Like, who cares what some celebrity's doing? Like, it's not important. Like, you, should, you know, focusing on what's really important. But it's stressful, but it's the most fun ever is watching the kids and watching them play sports, watching you know, watching how they grow and develop and, like, seeing their personalities. And it's I talk to my tight ends about it a bunch. You know, I catch myself a lot of times talking about my own kids just because, you know, I, 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 I thought when you're, you know, you finally become a dad, it's like you're teaching the kids everything. And I'm
0: trying to, but they teach me a lot of stuff, too. Final question. This one's kind of deep. If you could meet anybody in history, living or deceased, who would that person be? Oh, Easiest question ever. Jesus Christ, for sure. I mean, I I
3: just, I'm 39. I try to be well, well thought out about everything. And I wasn't very religious until recently, until this last off-season, where I said, okay, my kids are going to school, and they're going to Catholic school, and I was like, I've b- always believed in a creator. Cause I'm like, no way this just came about randomly from cells. Like everything's way too ordered and too structured and there's way too much things that make sense for it to just be random. So I was like, I need to learn about this. And I didn't, my parents never, you know, took me to church. I you know, I grew up real poor. We didn't, that was not a part of our life. And so I, as an adult, as a, even in high school, it's like, I was hearing some things like for the first time, I finally said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to study this. And I've, I've read like eight books this off season about, Christianity and like the very beginning and the the ecumenical councils and like the history history of it and how it all and apostolic succession like all the different like the the Great Schism in 1054 the Protestant Reformation the 1500s when Martin Luther nailed that thesis up against the Catholic like I studied it like knew it not know it but I studied it and now I'm a believer so that you know I would love to just you know talk to talk to Jesus you know he could probably give me some wisdom on some things and and. Probably calm me down a little bit on some things too.
0: <laughs> this has been really enjoyable. I took more of your time than I said I would, but I really appreciate it. And best of luck the rest of the year. Thank you. Have a great day. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast. Brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care. For the best fans, Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.